You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 15 as we make our way through John chapter 15 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through John 16, 4. Uh, Our our text will lead us into the first part of of John chapter 16. As well as a a reminder where we have been in, in John chapter 16, Jesus has left the upper room and he is pouring his heart into the disciples as he makes his way to Gethsemane and the cross, his ultimate arrest and burial of his arrest, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. So these last literally few hours are so crucial to Christ as he is pouring his life into the disciples. And, and what a wonderful uh, collection of truth that we have because of these conversations that God has, has preserved them for us here today. And we have uh, these words for us this morning. The beginning of John 15, the I am the vine passages, Jesus is looking at the disciples and saying, okay, this is how I want your relationship to be with me. You must abide in me. And as I abide in you, and you will bear much fruit, disciples, if you will abide in me. And then in uh, the following verses in, in John 15, verses 12 through 17, uh, we looked at this uh, last week. Uh, this this idea, okay, as you abide in me, this is how you live one to another. And so I want to replay this because it really sets the tone for uh, tonight, today, and then also tonight. Tonight I want to encourage you to come back because we've been talking about loving one another, peace and unity. Tonight I want us to come back and as the world hates us, tonight we're going to look at how do we live in the world. How do we live in a world that hates us? When, when do we separate from the world? We're called to be a witness, but come back tonight as we look at when do we separate from the world? And so the disciples are, are, are being told by Jesus, this is your relationship with me. And then he looks at the disciples, okay, because of the world, this needs to be relationship one to another. We need to love one another. As believers, we have to love one another. And then he goes into this section this morning, verses 18 through 6, verse 4. Disciples, this is your relationship with the world. It was kind of hard and real in their face. And it's the message for us. Here's our relationship with the world. They hate you. The world hates us because the world hated Jesus. And they hated the Father. So the world will hate us. And once we understand what the world is and what this hatred looks like, then we know how to live. 
as I thought about this all week and we think about what the world is and what it means that the world hates us, why should we expect the world to treat us any different than it did Jesus if we are following Jesus? If Jesus is our Lord and master and we are following him and he is our Lord and our master and he is God to us and we follow him and we know the world hated him and the world persecuted him and the world would not listen to him. The world did not care that Jesus was God and that he was sent by the Father and that he was the Son and that he sent the Spirit. And if we are following Christ and we are in Christ and we abide in Christ and Christ is in us and if we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, why would we expect the world not to hate us also? And so as we go through the word today, I pray that you are enlightened to this truth that the world hates you and it should hate you if you follow Jesus Christ and you love Jesus Christ because the world hates Jesus Christ. Let's read the text and I think it will become very clear to us. John 15, verse 18. I want to remind you, it's in the the order of service on the, on the left-hand side, I do provide notes. I don't, I don't provide an outline. If you're visiting with us, I don't provide an outline on the screen or in your hand, but I do provide an outline you can follow along. If you have a tablet or a smartphone, you can just go to pastorjohnbeck.com and it's right there. I post it every Sunday morning about 8.30. Don't, don't put your Bible down. Keep your Bible open, but at least you can have some notes that you can follow along or you can go home uh, this afternoon and look at it on your computer. It's just a way I think is, is easy for you to be able to follow the word as I walk through it. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Now these are the words of Christ. If you were of the world, now here's something that ought to really grab our attention. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So that's why I make that comment. The world hates you. If we are truly in Christ, the unbelieving world will hate you and what you stand for, who you follow. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Verse 20 is almost a contradiction to what I like to call television preaching in some channels. You know, it's the idea that we call the prosperity gospel, that if your faith is strong enough and if you believe strong enough and you love God enough, everything is always wonderful. You will always have everything you need. There will be this sense of wealth and health and goodness and prosperity. And if you're lacking in these areas, it's because of your lack of faith. And I simply have had conversations with people about that. And I simply say, what Bible are you reading? What Jesus are you following? it doesn't mean that we should be living this side of heaven in agony and despair and just miserable but it's the idea of understanding living in this world does not mean we get everything that we want and everything is hunky-dory because this world is not our final resting place 
We're just passing through. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they did not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to you, then they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done anything among them, the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But, verse 26, what a great but there. But when the helper comes, whom I will send, whom he did send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, key word there, it is a spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will be my witness. You, and, also, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 16, verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I have said these things to you so that you do know how to live in a world that does not appreciate you, a world that does not embrace your faith, a world that will not ever support your understanding of who Christ is to you. I have given you these words so you do not have to fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, then in their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, as we reflect upon these words and we think about the timing of the words that you gave the disciples, we know that the hour has come and we do remember the words that you have told them because they are the words that you have told us. And so I pray that as we understand this hatred that the world has toward us, that we could see the love that you have toward your own and that we do not have to fall away, that we can know you Lord, that we can love you and that we can follow after you. And this we pray in Christ's name, amen. Verse 18, let's just look at this hatred that the world does, has for us and then understand why the world hates us. Let's look at verse 18. It says there, if the world hates you, well, let's look at who you is. The you in this context is born again believers. Now this is not what someone professes. This is who someone is. And I say that, you get that. There are a lot of people that say something, but they're not something. The you in this context, Judas is gone. The, 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 the context is the 11. Judas is gone. The, the false guy's not there. The unbeliever's not there. He left. By his actions, by his recognition of Christ, he showed who he was. He's not there. He's looking at those 11, that is the you. The you today are those of us that have been born again by the blood of the Lamb. It is those that have not just said something with their mind, but they have said something with their mind and they believe it in their heart. It is those that we would call regenerate born again, 
part of what we would call the church. Those of us that will be hanging out in heaven one day together. Those that are truly his. Now, here's the, here's the thing for me. I, I'll let you know into the life of a pastor. I've, I've used this silly illustration before. Do you know how easy it would be if I could go and I, I'm old? I have progressive lineless bifocals. That's why when you call my name, I have to turn completely around. For those that have those, understand I'm looking through two straws to see who you are. Young people go, what's he talking about? I'm living my life right now remembering what all old people told me and go, oh, that makes sense. And so we think about uh, these things. I just kind of forgot what I was going to say there. See, I mean, I am getting old. So the you, here was going. So wouldn't it be great if I had some lineless bifocal conversion lenses to where I could put my glasses on as I'm preaching and see who's really born again? Do you know how simple that would be for preaching? Because if you weren't born again and you're sitting there, and I'm not being judgmental, but if I knew that you really weren't born again, I would probably prop up my arm on my chin and preach to you the whole time. And I don't mean that in a, well, he thinks, no, I would be broken over you. I would be consumed with knowing that you could know the truth and that God would change you. I would be burdened by you. But in our churches, in our land today, there is no telling how many people, and this is not a derogatory statement, this is a fact. Any pastor would tell you this. You know this. There is no telling how many unconverted people are sitting on church rolls all across our land. There's no telling. And I said, well, that's kind of an arrogant, bold statement. No, it's a true statement because if the church was full of truly regenerate, born-again people, our church would be having a greater influence in our communities, in our schools, and out in our workplace. And so the you is those that have truly given their life to Christ. They know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They know their sins have been forgiven. They, Jesus Christ is the Lord and the master of their life. And as a believer, their goal is to live for him beyond anything else. That is the you here. These people, those that have been born again, those that have been converted, those that have been regenerated, they will face hatred and persecution in the world. That's just the way that it works. Now let's look at the word world. If you look at the word world, it means different things. It's not the general population of the world, for God so loved the world, just the general population. It's not the world. We look at sometimes, we think of words for world in Psalms. They're talking about like the earth, the globe. There's different cases and different times the word world is used. Here, the world is unbelieving mass of people that make up society. They're unbelievers that are... Their life is, is dictated by the morals and the attributes and the attitude and the decision-making and, and the philosophies of life that go against the absolute truth and goodness and mercy and glory of God. And so the world system is the mass of unbelievers that have nothing to do with God and what God stands for. And so when we look out into the world today, we can see those that are for him and those that are against him. And that's the plumb bob. That's the dividing line. 
Do I believe who God is? Do I believe what God has said? Do I believe who Christ is? Do I believe what Christ came to do? Do I believe how that affects my life? That is the dictation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not to just say you believe from a religious standpoint there is a Jesus. But you think about the world, um, the mass of unbelievers in society opposed to the absolute truths of God. They're going to hate you if you love Jesus Christ because they hated Jesus Christ. Another thing to think about is that word hate. It is the active will, it is the active ill will, the active ill will in words and conduct that is accompanied by a persecuting spirit. That was kind of a dictionary definition of that word. Uh, it is a, an act of ill will in words and conduct and a, a persecuting spirit that is against something. That just hate, it's a will and a conduct and it's a persecuting spirit. You are just against something. That is what hatred is. The world and the philosophies of the world, in my words, is they disagree with, they are opposed to. It is a world that stands against anything that is truth of God. Now here's the unique thing about this word hate. You know when the world begins, just let this is kind of a, an underlying issue. Do you know when the world begins to hate us as believers? When we tell the world they're wrong. I mean, the world's fine. I mean, you think about it from practical reasons. I can get along with a lot of people until we start disagreeing on something. You know, I got kind of tickled. I, 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 uh, I like sports. My sports team is in the SEC. I get so tickled how SEC people just love the SEC. And so I was, I've been watching baseball. Sharon's been making me watch baseball all weekend and the second, the second the guy from Ole Miss hits the home run against Florida State, they don't start screaming, go Ole Miss. They start chanting SEC, SEC. I'm like, this is crazy. We just, we're SEC homers. But once we get into that little SEC community, we can get real testy toward one another, can't we? The world, we can agree to agree on a lot of, a lot of issues. And I can, be a, I can be a Christian in the world and get along with the world and love the world and the world love me unless I give them a reason to hate me. And that's the issue. We can all get along fine until we start telling the world what marriage looks like. When we start telling the world that Jesus is the only way. When we start telling the world, you have your religions and all these things, but we have Jesus Christ. We can get along with the world until we start telling the world that the word of God is the absolute truth and there's no error found in it. See, it, the, word, the world is fine until, and hatred is never seen until we start giving it a reason to. And hatred toward the church is always over truth. That's why that you is so important. Judas knew Jesus Christ was named Jesus Christ. 
Judas believed that Jesus Christ said he was going to do great things. Judas believed that Jesus Christ was going to rule the nations. But not as a suffering servant and the master and Lord that he was. Judas created Jesus in his own eyes to be a military political leader that would bring Judas wealth and prosperity. See, a lot of, in our world today, what we do supposedly under the name of Christian, we say that we are a Christian, but we, wanna, we want Jesus in our own eyes. We want Christianity in our own eyes. Churches are t- basically taking their, their doctrine and their understanding, their philosophies, and they're creating their own Jesus and their own gospel so that they will fit into the world. But we follow Christ who continued to follow the Father. So we see this you, we see this world, we see this hate, we see this point of contention. And so as we see these things and we look at the rest of the text, I I just made these three little preachy words, I call them. We need to expect it. We need to embrace it. We need to experience it. You know, to say, you you need to expect persecution if you're going to live in today. Think back 20 years ago and being a Christian in Avon Park, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Think back those many years ago and you think about how different it is to be a Christian today in our community. What is acceptable? What is recognized? What is condoned? So you better expect persecution and hatred from the world. You better embrace it. It's coming. God's called us to be in the world, but not of it. But we better expect it and we better embrace this idea that hatred is coming your way. And then I just thought about this idea. We need to be able to experience it. We've got to live through it. Not all of us are going to be martyred immediately for the sake of Christ when hatred comes. Not all of us, you know, you think about living in a, in, a, in a church today and the decisions that I have to make as a pastor. Think about this whole agenda about same-sex marriages and all that's going on and, and the number of churches. And let's say, you know, hypothetically, somebody comes to me and says, hey, we, uh, you know, we're, we want to be married in the church and we're, you know, we're, we, we love each other and we're both Christians and we're both of the same sex and we know God is pleased with this and we want you to do a, a wedding service in our church and we, we're going to make a big wedding out of it then I have to make a decision so that's what I call expect it and embrace it is coming that I need to live through it how are we going to live through that do we, do we bend our knee to what the world is saying and bend our will to what the world is saying? Or do we, do we experience that hatred and say, you know what, you can hate me all you want. and I'll get a, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but your hatred is not toward me, it's toward the Lord. I tell people this, I love you from the standpoint of Christ's love for the world. But I cannot compromise truth, so I'm just going to experience. I'm going to have to just endure it and live it out. 
let the chips fall where they may, that I know one day, if I, I've, I've said this to pastors and I'll say it to you as a pastor to you. There may be a point in a time that churches may say, you know what, we don't want you to be our pastor anymore. We don't, this truth stuff about to get on our nerves. You need to hit the road. You know what, I, I'd hate for that day to come at a church that I pastor, but sooner or later it may come to a lot of pastors in our land and we may think, golly, I, I, I've been run off a church for preaching truth. You know, one day we're gonna stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so are those that turn their back on the truth of the gospel. I would much rather experience hatred and persecution for a season and to stand before my Lord and Savior and hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, than to compromise truth before I get there. I'll go ahead and say this one. So you ever, if, um, I was a Marine, went to boot camp, Paris Island. So if somebody comes to me, it's kind of funny. Somebody will come to me and go, hey, Brother John, Pastor John, I want to go be a Marine. I'll say, that's awesome. Let's talk about it. Do you know how awful it is to be a Marine? Do you know how terrible boot camp is? Do you know what they're going to make you do at boot camp? You're going to, they're like, well, I thought you'd be excited. I want to be a Marine. I do want you to be a Marine, and I want you to be excited, Marine, but I just want you to know what you're in for. I used to think that they wouldn't kill you at boot camp. I think they can. You know, you go into it and think, well, at least I won't die. Yeah, you could die. Second week we were at boot camp, well, we had a Marine die. I'm like, oh my gosh, they can kill us here. You know, and, and I mean, so you got to do this, you got to do this, first phase, second phase, three phase, you know, third phase, we're in training, rah, 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 rah. but one day you will stand on that parade deck and that will be the proudest moment of your life. You did it. That's to me a lot like life. We know who we are. We know what we're called to do. We can expect it. We can embrace where we are and expect the, the, the gospel fight that we're involved in. We can experience. We can grow from it. We can go stronger in it because one day we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and spend all eternity in his presence. Isn't that awesome? Let's look at the text real quick. I want to show you the, the reason why the world hates us and then leave you with some what nows. Why does the world hate us? And I've already said some of these things. Why does the world hate us? Number one, because we're not part of them. Verses 19 and 20. If you were the world, the world would love you as its own. I tell you, a horrifying thing to think about. What if we live our life and, and we tell ourselves, well, golly, I've never been hated by anybody. Everybody loves me. I mean, I'm not... I never face opposition. I never confronted with anything. I'm telling you, you need to check things. I'm not necessarily a confrontational person, but I face confrontation morally and biblically every day. What is right? What is not right? What should I do? What should I not do? That's, that's confrontation. How do we live our life in this society? Politically, socially, economically, civically. That, that is the world opposed to us. We're not of the world. They're, they're, we're never going to get, I remember one day, have you ever had one of these aha moments? You have a bad day. Anybody ever have a bad day every now and then? I had a bad day one day. And I, everywhere I had gone, people were just idiots. 
No, I'm sorry. I should not have said idiots. That is one of the words I should not say. They were all morons. Moron is in the Bible. Moronic is in the Bible, so I can say that. And you're just sitting there thinking, what in the world are these people? You know, the, you flip the news on. What are these people? You read an article. What are these people? You're on Twitter. Ah! Do you know why they do what they do? Because of who they are. And if we think that the world is going to get what we believe, we're missing it. And in essence, that's why we're here. To be in the world, but not of it. The world is is against us because we're not part of them. We're an outsider to them. We are weird to them. We are odd to them. This Jesus following thing. How narrow-minded. And you know, you narrow-minded believers. So you think this book and what this book says determines how I feel. And what I think is not more important than what that book says that is outdated, that is archaic, and was written a long time ago for a people a long time ago, and it has nothing to us for today. You mean to tell me you believe? that and I go yep well I don't okay well then you just showed me what team you're on I, I can't expect I should not expect an unconverted lost person to get that I've had conversations with church members that get don't get it you know what I leave that conversation thinking I, I take out my unconverted highlighter out They may be on the church roll, but they've never been converted. Why? Because they don't have the spirit of God abiding within them if they don't believe the things of God. Isn't that simple math? Have you ever been around family members? We were talking about family members, and I said something about family reunions Wednesday. Have you ever been around family, and you're, you're, you're around family, but you're not around them all the time, and you're like a big family reunion, and, and you know, you think, well, I think they go to church. That's what we always think. I think they go to church. I think they do. Jokingly, I always look over and tell Sharon, they must be Methodists. I say that jokingly because my grandmother on my dad's side, they're, they're Methodist folks, so I can, I can talk about them because it's part of my heritage. They must be Methodists. And the longer you're around them, you're saying, they might go to church. And I'm, not, I'm not judging or being sarcastic. or I'm just, you know, you, then you begin to think, honey, they don't know the Lord. There's just nothing in their life, the way they talk, the way he treats his wife, the way she treats her husband, the way they treat their family, the way they say, the things they do, their habits, their hobbies, how they spend their time. Honey, they may say they go to church, but they're still in the world. See, the world will never understand us because we're not part of them. If they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute you. If they will listen to Jesus, then they will listen to us. Notice in the words what it says that If they listen to me, they'll listen to you. That's great news. I don't have to do the convincing. If you're, if you're not in the world and you're part of, of following Christ, I don't have to convince you of that. We're all on the same team. God's already done that. That's a great relief when it comes to preaching. I don't have to convince you this is the word of God. God will do that. That ought to free you up if you teach Sunday school. And you teach the word. If they believe Jesus, they'll believe Jesus' word. If they believe you, they'll believe the word of God. It's not your job to convince them. That's what God does. Why, why they're part of them? Notice what it says, verse 9 20. They're dead. 
They're not alive. We are new creations in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We once were in the world, but God in his grace and mercy in Ephesians teaches us we were raised from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5, we are new creations in Christ. The valley of dry bones, Ezekiel tells us, we came out of the world. They hate us because they're part of the world. They hate us because we're not part of them. We came out of that. God chose us. God opened up our eyes to the truth. The Spirit opened up our eyes to that. We were in the world and we hear the gospel and we said, oh my goodness, I am the sinner. I am dead. I need to be saved. And we respond by faith and we literally come out of the world. And the world is basically saying, where are you going? Why are you leaving? You never understand we're following Jesus. Because we are not part of them. Secondly, because they do not know God. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know who sent me. Jesus saying that because they do not know God. They cannot see who God is. They cannot believe who he is. I, I have flashbacks of, of uh, when Larry King was on CNN and you've got, you know, John MacArthur and Al Mohler sitting there and they've got their Bible and they're sitting there and Larry King's here and John MacArthur's there and you've got a false religion over there and, and they're, you know, Larry King's asking questions and John MacArthur is sharing scripture and he's sharing things and, and you know, the now it's your turn and their answers are just so preposterous and so counter to what John MacArthur, a biblical scholar, has just said. And at the end of the program, you're saying, what are they, how do they not know that? Because they don't know God. They don't know God. They've never had that encounter with God. They cannot see him. They do not know who he is. They cannot believe who he is. They cannot believe what he has done through the gospel. They don't see God for who he is and his holiness. They don't see their need for forgiveness of sin. They don't understand that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to take a place in the propitiation for our sin. They don't understand that through repentance and faith they can become a child of God. They don't see God's holiness. They don't see their need. They don't see Christ's provision. They don't see the response they can make. They just don't see it. They have their own God and we have our own God. They'll never get it. You're never going to be able to convince them of that in the world that we live in because they're going to hate you. Verses 22 through 25, if they had not come and spoken to them, they would have been guilty, but now guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Do you know what a lost person is? Enslaved to sin. Have you ever thought about that? Enslaved to sin. That's what sin, it, it enslaves us. And the world is enslaved to sin. Here's the thing about it. Think about our society. Now, it's just our society. This stuff's been going on in other places for a long time. But just think about our society. Notice how depraved we have become. Notice issues that we are living with now. I, mean, I hate to keep going back to the same thing, but here's a, here's, a great, here's a great understanding of it. Look at relationships. Look at earthly relationships and how far we have gotten from earthly relationships. Think back years ago when I think we had more of a moral fiber in our country. What did it mean for a, a man and a woman to be, to be married and be together? 
When you think about living together compared to, to marriage and how uh, things were taking place and how what was acceptable in the norm. Now we just flash forward. So now we flash forward and we see a society enslaved to sin that many years ago had these morals and values of one woman and one man and dating and courtship and married and the way that it was treated back then. Now we fast forward to here and now we don't even know what sexes should be married and what role the church plays in that. Do you know why we've got from point A to point B because we are enslaved to sin. And sin gives us what we want and what we think we need. I'll speak to men on this because I am one. and It's not often that I don't hear over the last several weeks a, a pastor has fallen into sin. A, a man has fallen into sin. Well, let me tell you what happened. You didn't wake up that morning and all of a sudden fall into sin and cheat on your wife. That sin's been brewing for a long time by those internet clicks and that wandering eyes and that lustful heart as you've been looking at women and thinking about women and that sin took you to a point A to a point B that you're willing to throw everything away to fulfill the desires of your heart. That's what sin does. A sexual adulterous relationship always starts emotionally before it starts. It doesn't just start with a physical act. It starts emotionally months ago when you started spending time with that woman and talking to that woman and texting that woman. That is what it looks like to be enslaved to sin. Your life will take you somewhere you never dreamed that you would go. Look at our country. We would never dream 30, 40, 50 years ago if we would have said this is what the world would look like. We'd say, there's no way. Impossible. But the world is enslaved to sin. But we got to close with the great news of Jesus Christ, don't we? I love buts. But, look at verse 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now let's think about this. Let's just use, I just thought of this. This may take the sermon another 30 minutes because this is new stuff. Think about Saul. Let's think about Saul for a minute. In the world, of the world, unconverted, unregenerate, not a quickening of the heart or the mind by the Spirit of God. Feared God, was a religious man, thought he was doing right, held the garments as a martyred Stephen. Okay, follow the story? Stoning Stephen, because Stephen was a Christ follower. Paul is rooting it on from the sidelines is on the road to Damascus to kill and to persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thought he was doing what he needed to do, was adamant about what he needed to do, was willing to kill to do what he needed to do, was willing to do whatever he needed to do to do whatever he needed to do because he thought he was right. But the helper came. And said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I I use this this week. Why are you kicking against the goads? 
Why are you doing something you're never going to be able to do? But the helper came. Aren't you glad the helper has come? Aren't you glad that we live in a world that may hate us, but we know the one thing that can change that hatred toward love, the helper. But the helper came, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth. See, what the Spirit does is take the Word of God and makes it known as the Word of God. The the Spirit takes the Word of God, the Spirit of truth. From a pastor's standpoint, knowing the world and the crazy world that we live in today, knowing that so many folks, I believe, in our society, I, I will be a little honest with you, I'm not an optimist when I meet someone. I'm not very positive. When somebody comes up to me and goes, hey, I'm a Christian, I, I, just, I think it's where I am. Somebody can come up to me and say, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. I doubt it. I do doubt it. I said, well, why would you doubt it? Because of the society that we live in. You know, I could go down, I love Walmart. I know what I'm going to do when I retire. I'm just going to hang out at Walmart. Attention Walmart shoppers. This is Pastor John Beck. I'm going to be coming around with a clipboard asking you questions about Jesus. (laughs) And I guarantee you, somebody do it today and let me know. I can start on the bread coffee aisle. Are you, do you, are you a Christian? Yes or no? Yes. Are you a Christian? Do you believe in Yes. I could get through Walmart and I guarantee you it will be 98 to 99. 100% of Walmart would tell me they believe in Jesus. And I could do that every day. And 99 and 95, 97% of everybody in Walmart is going to tell me they're a Christian. And let me just let you in on a little secret. 99% of Highlands County is not believers. You, if you don't realize that, come out of your cave. That's not a sarcastic look at us remark. That is just, hey, brother and sister, we are on the mission field. If, not, if, if that many people were born again believers of Jesus Christ, the laws would be different. Movie theaters that watch the stuff on there would be empty. Churches would be full. We wouldn't only be praying in public schools, we'd be preaching in public schools. There would be a lot of things we would be doing differently if 99% of our country... So now now you can say, never thought about it that way. So when I meet someone, I'm thinking, okay, probably not. Where you go to church? Oh, well, who's the pastor? Oh, well. But when the helper comes... Sent from the Father. Notice it says to us, I have said these things to keep you from falling. Well, the helper has come. We're not alone. The helper has come. And it's going to change the Saul's into into Paul's. And then once a Saul becomes a Paul, it's like a John that became a John. Then we have the helper. I'm not going to fall away. Paul didn't fall away. Was Paul persecuted? Yes. Was Paul beaten? Yes. He was snake bitten, bear bitten, naked, stoned, drowned. I mean, good gracious. Look at the list. 
He was executed. He was martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was beheaded by a a crazy emperor named Nero. But you know what he did not do? Fall away. He did not fall away. I'll be the first one to tell you. I hope I'm not called to do what Paul did. I don't like pain enough and discomfort enough. It's all I can do to survive a hurricane with no air conditioning. I sure couldn't do what Paul did. But he may call us all to do that. But if we have the helper within us, we'll never fall away. Let me leave you with these words this morning. Here's what the helper does. The helper convicts the world of their sin, John 16. The helper regenerates John 3 and and allows the world to become born again. So it's kind of like as we come out of the world and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we turn our attention to the world knowing that it hates us, but we believe in the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit and we stand on truth and we believe truth and even though they hate us and even though they persecute us, we are gonna fight the good fight of faith, not out of meanness or not out of, 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 of hatred toward them, but we love them even though they hate us because we love Jesus Christ and we know the same spirit that converted us will be the same spirit that converts them. That's what the spirit does. It seals the believer. Ephesians 1, 3, it baptizes us in union with Jesus Christ. That is what the helper comes to do. It indwells us as believers. It fills us with believers. And even though the world hates us and the world persecutes us, we have the spirit of God abiding within us. I don't need the world and its satisfaction. I don't need what the, see, that's what the world does. It just sucks us into their philosophy. You need this. You have to have this. This is what you deserve. This is what's gonna make you happy. It drives me crazy when I hear people say something like, oh my goodness, if I could just have this one thing, I'd finally be happy. No, that's never gonna make you happy. And it's gonna be one thing after another, after another, until you find your happiness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with these practical words. The what now? Please be in the world, but not of it. Sometimes we focus on one or the other. Oh, brother pastor, I am so righteous and holy. I am not tainted by the world. I live in a cave. And I don't talk to lost people because I'm not lost. I'm not not in the world. I'm not in the world. No, 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 no. And then the other extreme is you're so of the world, we don't know who, what you, we can't tell a difference. Be in the world, but not of it. Secondly, as Jesus reminded us, The way we endure the hatred of the world, don't miss this, I almost missed it this week. The previous verses in John 15, how we combat the hatred of the world is the love that we have for one another. Honey, the world hates me. Honey, they're supposed to hate you. They hated Jesus. But I love you. And your brothers and sisters in Christ love you. And those are the ones you're going to spend eternity with. And I go, that's right. 
That's why we love each other so much. That's why I tell everybody, you know, as preachers, we love our Sunday mornings. It's kind of important to us. Some people take Sunday morning and try to figure out how they can hang out with the world instead of trying to figure out how they can hang out with one another. That never made any sense to me. We want to spend more time with the world than one another. Somebody might say, well, I just don't like being around Christian people. Brother, you better be careful what you say. (laughs) The world doesn't like hanging out with Christian people either. Tell you a little true story. Somebody asked me, do all these stories deal with here? No. This is a true story. Pastor, little Johnny doesn't like youth group anymore. It's boring. I think we're going to find another church. There's just too much Bible going on in your youth group. What I wanted to say, what I would probably say now because I'm a lot wiser, the problem with little Johnny is he's unconverted. And he went into the baptistry unconverted and he came out of the baptistry unconverted because the Bible says a child that has the spirit of God abiding in them will know that they love the word. That's a reality check. We need to be in the world but not of the world. We love one another because we know as we love each other, that's how we live in the hatred of the world. Number three, what to do now? Trust the power of the word and the spirit as we live in the world. Again, we're not, we're not looking for a fight. We know, oh my goodness, all right, here we go. Christians, we're gonna huddle up on three. Right, Maroon 22 on go, ready to score. We're into the world running our play. Here we go, attack, attack, attack. Seize the day. But what we do is say, you know what? I was once in the world. Tanner once used to be a Gator fan. Now he's come out of the world. He has seen the light. He's a Georgia Bulldog fan now. He understands. He gets it. We bond. (laughs) What sets you free? The truth will set you free. What the world needs, we need to know the world hates us, but we need to love the world so much that we trust the power of the word and the spirit and our witness and our holiness and our righteousness and the gospel that we explain. We're not holy apart from the gospel. We're not righteous apart from the gospel. Yes, our, our walk should make our talk, but our walk will never save anybody. It's the talk of the gospel and the spirit and the word that's going to save. Let me ask you to consider these verses as we close with this last statement. As we think about the world and the hatred the world has for us, we can live confidently and faithfully. I love to go to Walmart. I love to go to Walmart. I don't go anywhere. I'm doing everything Amazon Prime. The world's in Walmart. I like people. I know the world's going to hate me. I know the world is going to hate you, but you know what? That's the call that God's placed on our life, to go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
teaching them all that I have commanded you. And he says, you know, I'm with you. That's what you're called to do. Go live in the world that the agent live confidently, live obediently, live with a, a purpose and live with a passion, live differently, live set apart. But here's the last thing. As we live in the world, who are we trying to make happy? Man or God? Some of us are so in the world, we can't tell a difference. We're so in the world, there's no way to tell a difference. And here's the reason. We, we all might could say we have a desire to people to like us. We want people to like us. We, can we be honest with that? We, don't, we want people to like us. But are we so in love with people liking us that we want the world to like us more than we know that we are pleasing the Lord? Listen to these verses. John 12, 43. For they love the approval of man rather than the approval of God. We want man's approval so much that we're willing to live in the world in a way that they don't hate us because we want man's approval rather than God's. Acts 5, 29, but Peter and the, uh, the apostles answered, remember when they were, they were being persecuted, we must obey God rather than man. It's a desire to understand. Listen, I know what I'm about to tell you does not make you happy. I know what I'm about to tell you, you're gonna be mad. I know what I'm about to tell you, you're gonna probably hate me. I've had church members. I know what I'm about to tell you, you're you're going to leave this church, but I'm going to tell you right now, I've got to stand before the Lord and I'd rather God have approval of what I'm about to say than man. That's where we are in our society. Galatians 1.10, for I am now seeking the favor, for am I now seeking the favor of man or of God? Galatians 1.10, or am I striving to please men and then Paul says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 6, not by way of eye service as man pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. A tough word, a word of hatred and opposition in the world that you created. But that is why you sent your son to pay the penalty and to atone for the sin of that hatredness and bitterness and rage against all that is right. I hope, Lord, as we have opened up your word that we have understood the world will hate us as we live for you. But we can take that hatred and use that as an assurance of our walk with you and use that as an opportunity to trust in the power of the word and the spirit that has changed not only us but so many others that have come out of the world. Lord, I pray that your word has shown us that we need to be in the world but not necessarily of it and that our motives and attitude and desires are not to please man but to please you, to not serve man but to serve you. And I hope your word this morning has shown us, Lord, the power of the spirit that quickened our eyes and our heart as it did Saul so that we may see the light of the truth of the gospel and to come out amongst them 
and to follow after you. Lord, as a potter works the clay, that is what you have done to us as have come out of the world with the Spirit. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for those of us that have come out of the world and may be hated by the world, but are loved by you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.